Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I am so excited to have Dr. Joe Sanfilippo on the show. Joe is the superintendent of the Fall Creek School District in Fall Creek, Wisconsin, co-host of the Hacking Leadership Podcast, speaker and co-author of The Power of Branding, Telling Your School's Story, Principal Professional Development, Leading Learning in a Digital Age, and Hacking Leadership, 10 Ways Great Leaders Inspire Learning That Teachers, Students, and Parents Love. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And as you know, the show is centered on leadership development, and I would love to hear your leadership journey and how you went from the classroom to a superintendent of a school district. Oh, man, I taught second grade, I taught fifth grade, and then I was a school counselor, and then I was a principal, and then a superintendent. So, you know, I think what I always was looking for was just another opportunity to lead a a large group of people. And when these opportunities came about, it was just, uh, it felt, they, they all felt good. So I think we were in that position. My wife and I were in the spot where we weren't going to move just to move. But there were some opportunities that were a little bit uh, really intriguing. And just taking a couple kind of having a couple conversations with people just uh, led us to different leadership positions that kind of brought us here. And that's unusual for a counselor to become a principal. What led you in this direction? I think it was just kind of the natural progression of me wanting to lead more people. Like, I think, I don't know if I was the best counselor, to be honest. I think that was, I was more of a realist when it came down to stuff like, you know, we got to get things moving and I'm all about feelings and everything at the same time. We got to get some stuff done. So uh, I think that the, the, the opportunity for us was just to say, if there's a chance that we can kind of find ourselves in a different leadership role, we're going to give it a shot as much as we can. And, and I was lucky because you know, I was, I was counseling. I was having a really good time. And I was coaching golf and coaching basketball, and life was really good. It was actually, it was, I was in a really, really cool spot in right outside of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And, and then when this principal job opened up across the, across the state, it was in an area that my wife had gone to college in. So we just kind of took a flyer on it and, and ended up kind of getting into a groove when it came to the interview process. And then it just worked out really well. And it was good. I mean, I was there for, I was a principal at an elementary building for uh, five years building about 275 kids just a two-section building it was fantastic and you know after a couple of years of that after like you know my fourth year actually probably into the beginning of the fifth year i thought you know there's got to be a different opportunity in that you know the, the building was really doing great things and i think that sometimes you know even the building needs a change mm-hmm. just to kind of take a look at what it looks like from a different lens sometimes the voice the different voice is helpful too so so then we got into came out to fall creek and then i was a principal here for a year until the interim superintendent had uh, retired and then they they offered the job to the superintendent job to me and that's kind of where i've been for the last eight years so Early in your educational career, what was one of the most challenging or impactful experiences you had that enhanced your skills as a leader? Well, I think early in the career, in my career as as a teacher, I used to see, you know, I used to see kids doing some really, really incredible things in the room. And I think that's where the whole conversation started in terms of telling the work, telling the story of our school and that kind of thing. It actually started when I was a teacher because... I, I had these kids doing amazing things and to be the only one to be able to see that that was happening just, just didn't feel right. So, you know, we started making videos, even back then, you know, the big old, you know, VHS tapes and things like that. And then, uh, you know, calling parents and having parents come in and really connecting our classroom to the community. And 
and then I just kind of got addicted to that. So we did, and we just did the same thing from a counseling lens. And I think so the most challenging thing for me was just making sure that the incredible work that was being shared in the classroom was able to be seen by more people than were in the classroom. What was your biggest misconception as you moved from being a counselor to an administrator? You know, this piece that people say, like, you've gone to the dark side when you go to the administration, that happens all the time. At the same time, like, that's a perception that we have to break down because it's not like an us against them mentality. And I think a lot of times people feel like I tell people a lot that, you know, doors make you stupid. Like you could be the best counselor in the world or the best teacher in the world. When you get a new door that says principal on it, then all of a sudden you don't know anything anymore. And then you get another door that says superintendent. You might as well just walk out of that. Thing. <laughs> like you just don't know. So we've been in this spot where I, I think the biggest misconception was that it was an us against them mentality. Because if you get into it, you start having conversations with people. It's not an us against them mentality. In fact, when it is, you're not going anywhere. I mean, yeah, if, if we talk about how we're all in the thing together at the same time, if you can't just those aren't just words. Like if you're not all in it together, then you need to do something else. In your experience as a principal, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? Uh, listening, without question, listening, which is really interesting coming from a counselor's perspective because I felt like I was a you know, pretty good listener when it came to the counseling lens. But when I, when I got into the principal role, then all of a sudden I felt like I had to fix everything. Like I was the fixer. Like you bring me a problem, I got to fix it. Bring me a problem, I got to fix it. And I was already thinking about how I was going to answer the question before people got done talking. And what I realized was, that I don't need to have all the answers, but, I, but I'm not going to have any answers if I don't listen to what they have to say. And so I'm at my worst right now when I'm not listening to the people uh, that we're talking to. And I'm at my best right now when we're taking all angles and trying to come up with a decision together as opposed to from one office. So I think that's the biggest component that we have to keep in mind is that the listening piece is so important and you don't have to fix the problem, but you don't know what the problem is unless you listen to the whole thing. So I want to talk about your current position. What do you wish you had known before becoming a superintendent? Oh, man. What do I wish I would have known before becoming a superintendent? I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that I wish I would have known because I think I knew what I was getting myself into. But I think that that a lot of times the, the political aspect of what this position is can be very, very difficult. And I think one of the things that, you know, I was the fifth superintendent in six years at Fall Creek. So I think the, you know, just that kind of turnover, I tried to solve all these problems right away. And what I realized was that it's not about solving the problems. It's just about making sure that they know and understand what you do in that, in this role. And you can, if you're in a good spot, you can actually define the role, which makes it you makes it really, you know, a fantastic place to be. But I often tell people that, you know, in the absence of knowledge, people tend to make up their own. So when it comes down to it, they, when they don't know what you do, they make up what you do. And when they make up what you do, it's not always what you want them to make up what you do. Like we're all on this level. We're all judging on something. People judge, but people judge a superintendent piece based on the fact that they're the highest paid person in the district. And they may, and and that's just they walk around with a target on their back because of that. And that's not right, but that's real. We can talk about right and real all day. Mm -hmm. But right, that's not right that people feel that way. But it is 100% accurate in terms of the work that people feel that happens. So when they don't see you, they don't feel like you're part of the process, then they start asking questions like, why are we paying all that guy that all that money? I mean, for that kind of money, we could get two aides, two teachers, two whatever, this kind of stuff. I could get more materials for my classroom. 
So they don't have any, you know, when people don't know what you do, then they figure out ways that they put their own worldview in, in terms of why they, or how they can utilize the money that you make in a different capacity. I think part of that started for me, there was like the social media thing happened. I started tweeting and putting stuff on social media because I didn't want to get fired. I, that is 100% accurate. Like, because I wanted to be like at the end of the year of the first year where I could walk into the boardroom and show, you know, 672 pieces of evidence of places that I had been in the school, then visibility is off the table. You can be upset about, you know, a budget decision. You can be upset about a curriculum decision or a, you know, whatever. But at the same time, you're not going to be upset about not seeing me in the classrooms at that time. You know, I think that that was a big deal for us. And it turned into us just wanting to tell stories of kids. And that has just been phenomenal to this point. And I think, I think, you know, when it comes down to what, what I wish people would have told me, I wish people wouldn't have tried to scare me off of it, honestly, because it can be a really good position if you have the right number, if you have the right people, you know, around you from a leadership lens and from a board lens. So when you're constructing your team, what kind of characteristics are you looking for? Well, I think it depends on the person, honestly, because, you know, I mean, I just think that you have to you have to build your team with people that are not like you in that. Like we always hire to get better than we are when it comes to the leadership perspective. You want to surround yourself with people who are really good at things that you're not really good at. So as a team, you can collectively be great at everything. You don't have to be a great social media enthusiast in Fall Creek, Wisconsin, because we got that covered. But when it comes down to, you know, what does it look like from, you know, from a community, like a, like a connection to the curriculum standpoint or from, you know, a technology standpoint or from, you know, whatever the case may be when it comes to where people are at. You just want to surround yourself with people that have characteristics that that are not like not yours in terms of the skill set at the same time it's they have to be willing to have uh, conversations about what it really looks like, you know, and if they hold us the, the same core values, you know, as you do, if, if they're about kids and they're about adults getting better, then all the other, you know, specific skill sets that they have can kind of change out. As a principal or a superintendent, how do you grow future leaders? Well, I think you got to give them ownership of the process and know and understand that it's not going to be done the way that you had anticipated it being done. But that doesn't mean that it's done wrong. It's just done differently. When I got into this role, I used to do everything. And that would be at school, be first in the in a parking lot, be the last in the parking lot. I'd get I'd do all the work on my own. And I was driving myself into the ground. And then nobody around was really kind of stepping up in terms of their leadership, but it wasn't their fault. It was 100% my fault because I wasn't allowing that to happen through the environment that we were trying to build. So once we started realizing that it's, it's about collective efficacy when it comes to leadership, we got many, we got so many more people involved in the process and then it felt better for everybody because now we're all kind of on this journey together. It's not Joe's thing anymore. It's like, it's everybody's journey. We just got to make sure that we're part of it. And so in terms of growing leaders around us, we just try to give them ownership of, of as much as we can. They, you know, our, our staff in Fall Creek owns their professional development from the ground up. They do passion projects and they have to, you know, come up with a, a, a project or research that, you know, they get four days throughout, well, not this year because of snow, but they get three days throughout the course of the year, typically, uh, where they get uh, just goal development days where you get a chance to kind of just grow on your own with no agenda item except lunch. 
And then at the end of the year, instead of turning in a reflection to me, they, we do a street fair where we have like a vendor hall where all of our staff members get a chance to teach their colleagues what they've learned throughout the course of the year. And that is uh, and that's leadership right there, because not not on my end, but that's leadership on their end, because they're taking the initiative to really kind of dive into what that looks like and make it their own, which is, when it comes down to it, that's what's going to grow leaders. Mm hmm. And you have an incredible pulse on the future of education as you travel around the country. What is the largest barrier to the success of leaders? I think the largest barrier is their own mindset. And I think it has to do with a lot of the, you know, the people around us you know, allowing that growth to happen. There's a lot of superintendents in the world that don't want to step out of their comfort zone because they're afraid of a, you know, a group of five, seven, or nine people who they answer to that might not be on board with where they want to step. And that, that's really difficult. And I, so I think sometimes we're our own worst enemy when it comes to you know, our growth because we're afraid to take a, a step out of the comfort zone to get better. And that's, that's tough. And it's not even like taking a leap out of your comfort zone, man. It's just like maybe just dipping your toe in the water or something different. And when you do that, really kind of reflecting on what it looks like. You know, I mean, we talk in, in Hacking Leadership, we talk about, you know, we learn by doing, but we learn more by reflecting on what we've done. So, you know, having the opportunity to really kind of take action, but also sit back and say, oh, OK, well, you know what, that didn't work and then move on. And I think that if you change that mindset, you find yourself in a different spot. The other thing is like the one of the biggest barriers when it comes to leaders is the perception that leaders always have to be right. And when you feel like you always have to be right, you don't take a risk in terms of the work that you do because you're afraid that when you're wrong the one time, they're going to rake you over the coals for what you do. And the more, I mean, in terms of vulnerability and, and building stuff up, you're going to be wrong. But being transparent about that gives you a little social capital when it comes down to the times where you're not right. And then you can kind of move forward from there. And that kind of leads me to my next question, you know, taking those risks and making those decisions and maybe they don't work out. When you receive criticism about a message or a vision or an action, how do you work through that? I think the first thing you have to do is be honest. You know, I mean, just be transparent about the fact that you screwed up or that it didn't go as way the way that you wanted it to, or you got to take a look at, you know, doing it differently. I think just being humble and honest and vulnerable about it really, really helps. And, you know, I think a lot of times people think that that shows weakness. I think it actually shows an incredible strength to be able to be vulnerable because you can't be vulnerable with your group if you haven't been open and honest with them throughout the entire time, because then all of a sudden it comes off the wrong way. Or maybe you are seen as weak in that spot because you've always put on this persona and then you go and expose a weakness. I think from the beginning, we just said like, and I told, like I told my board when the, when I got hired, I told the board, I'm not the best superintendent you'll hire, but I'm the loudest person on earth. So if there are things that are happening in this district that are really good, like people are going to hear about them. And I think we've really sat on that platform for the last eight years about you know making sure that people know and understand what happens in cricket nation and how we're making sure that people can get the word out about the incredible things that our kids are doing and you know that's i mean everything from our professional development model to the fact that our middle school kids are i have have their own business of selling worms and i mean just little things like that like they're like our people are crushing it they need to have that recognition for the work that they do at the same time if you haven't been open and honest with them the whole time and something fails then and you admit to that piece of it you're not going to see you seem as strong as you know you were when you started but so i would just tell the people be transparent and honest across the board and when you screw up you're going to screw up what is one initiative you've implemented either at the district level or campus level that you are extremely proud of? Oh, without question, the uh, passion projects for adults. 
it's the best thing that we've ever done here. It's amazing because we started talking about, and I think this happens all over the country where people say, well, you know, kids need to own their learning more. Kids need to own their learning. Why can't kids own their learning? They need to learn. Well, yeah, of course they do. But guess what? You're talking about you're talking about the people leading those kids who have been in schools. If they're if they've been if they're 40 years old, they've been in school for four, for 35 years doing school the same way. And now we're going to tell these people you need to have kids own their learning. Well, what if they what if they've never done it? So when we started having people own their own learning and they knew what it felt like to own their own learning, guess what happened? Then the kids got a chance to own their own learning because they knew what it felt like. It wasn't a deficiency in our people. It was just that they didn't know. And once they knew, they did better. And that's just, a, I mean, it's a credit to them. Our people are amazing. Like they're doing, they're doing great things across the board. But it was just giving, you know, giving them, you know, empowering them to be in a place where they could own their own learning. And I think a lot of times people will tell when we started the process, they'll, they'll be like, you know, those goals, they're not going to be that great. You know, some people are just going to keep it close to the close to the vest and just kind of, you know, play the process and be done. And are there people that do that? Yeah, probably. Absolutely. Absolutely. But at the same time, we're not making decisions on those people. You know, we want to make decisions on the people that want to get better. And I tell people during professional growth model days, the only way, the only way that you can do professional growth model days wrong is by grading papers and organizing your classroom. That's the only way you can do it wrong. But are there people that grade papers and organize their classrooms? Probably. I don't check on them, but probably. But we're not making decisions on the people that don't want to get better. You want to get better, we'll make you better. You don't want to get better, I can't help you. So for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? Be transparent and understand that you don't have all the answers. At the same time, be willing to, you know, create a team, create capacity to lead because you can't do this work alone. When you try to do this work alone, not only is your building going to suffer, but your family is going to suffer and you're going to suffer the whole way. And, and that's just speaking from personal experience. There was a time in my first couple of years as a, as a principal where I'm like, man, I was never at home and, and never with kids. And now, you know, I, we find a way to find some balance within that. And I'm and I think that we have to figure out a way to kind of work through it together. But if you try to do this work alone, you're going to be you're going to be kind of messed up with that. If you think about it, like the job is itself from a leadership lens, if you're in the in a building, it's an isolating job to begin with. You're the only person in your building with your role, and all of a sudden you don't have that collaboration piece that a lot of other groups do. So I tell you, just be transparent, open, and honest, but also build capacity to lead because you can't do the work alone. So I got to change gears here. I know you're a fellow podcaster. Can you just take a mm -hmm. moment and share the Hacking Leadership podcast and what it's all about? Yeah, I think one of the things that we try to do with the Hacking Leadership podcast is just, you know, amplify the voices of those people that want to try to do leadership, their leadership role in a different capacity. And honestly, we ought, we Tony Sananis and I wrote a, a book called Hacking Leadership. And so we what we were trying to do is just provide a space that people could just have some conversations. So to be honest, when it comes down to the Hacking Leadership Podcast, most of those podcasts happen within the context of a conference that we go to in a session, just teaching people that it doesn't take a lot to get some you know, to get the voice of, of the people out to the world. And if you're willing to do that, then you find yourself in a much, much different spot because now you're having a conversation with the community. And I think that's truly important to the work that we do. And for those who haven't had the opportunity to read Hacking Leadership, can you just give us a quick synopsis for our aspiring leaders? Yeah, so one of the things that was really cool about Hacking Leadership, it's part of the hack series that Mark Barnes had come out with a couple years ago. And what we were thinking about was 
it, we kept reading all these these you know books about you know these philosophical books and like how all kids should learn and we really want to empower our staff and all that stuff that's great yeah fantastic but tell me how to do it give me an example make it easier i mean there's not every all these leaders across the world are just piling stuff on their plate they're not taking anything off they're just piling stuff on so we were like you know what what practical tips can we give to people that they can use start utilizing tomorrow to just get better from a leadership lens and i mean that's just as easy as as you know writing a couple notes to people or calling home or hiring or, or you're talking about how you hire people into your organization or making sure that you're present and engaged in the process or what are you doing for your own reflection and your own learning and how are you giving ownership of learning to the kid to the to the adults in your space that'll lead to ownership of learning for the kids in your space so i think all of those things put together were we're really trying to make it a a fast and quick you know opportunity for you to kind of think about your leadership in a different lens it doesn't need to be read from front to back like if you want to talk about how to how to be transparent with the community read that hack if you want to talk about how to be president engaged read that hack if you want to talk about making sure that the adults that the schools are built for kids and not adults read that that hack i mean all of this stuff is just really quick you know uh, quick stuff to get you going in the right direction and you've touched on it a little bit already, but in addition to your current position, you speak at conferences, you're an author, and you're very active on social media. How did you find your voice beyond your district? I think the voice actually was the district. I mean, honestly, it came down to it. The voice came from me not being satisfied about the fact that people didn't know what was happening here. We have Our board has three has three rules that's it you go you call any one of our board members in fall creek wisconsin they will tell you the three rules of our board and one of them is that the answer is always we no matter what the answer is always we the second one is that we always keep our dirty laundry in house and the last one is we never give up the opportunity to say something great about our school that's it so if we if we live by those three rules we're going to find ourselves in a really good spot. And so my my whole you know piece of getting out and speaking about this work was really the fact that people didn't know about this work. And now when you're thinking about it, you know, we're like five, six years into this thing. People go to conferences. They're, people know who they are. And they're asking them for pictures and they're getting their autograph and they're doing like, you know, they want them to, to present their sessions and, you know, where their materials and all that stuff. They want go cricket gear. They want all of this stuff. And so it's made our people feel like their audience is bigger. And when the audience is bigger, the effort is bigger. So we want to make sure that people know and understand that you get this work out there for people and they're going to they're going to follow along and make sure that they're part of the process, too. You know, there's no reason. There's no reason that people across the country should be talking about an 850 student school district in northwest Wisconsin. But we talk we get to talk about what we do because we talk about what we do. That's it. The things that are happening in Fall Creek, Wisconsin, are happening in other school districts across the country. But if you're not talking about it, then nobody knows. And when nobody knows, they make up what you do. And that's not what you want them to do. Mm -hmm. So I think the voice for me was just amplifying the voice of those around us. I tell our people all the time, the biggest thing that I want for you, my biggest hope for you as a staff member in Fall Creek, Wisconsin, is that you feel the way that I feel when I talk about you. That's it. That's all I want for you. I want you to feel the way that I feel when I talk about you. Because when I talk about you, I get teary because of the things that you do for kids. Mm -hmm. And I want people to feel that way. And when you go to conferences and you're lighting it up on the stage, I want you. I want people to kind of look out and say, I want to be part of that. Not because Joe Sanfilippo is in the superintendent's office, but because we got crazy cool people doing amazing things in every hallway in this building for kids. 
And I want to talk about another project of yours. What is the Leadership Challenge and how did this video series start? So the Leadership Challenge started, honestly, just because I was walking to school. And I, I live across the street from school. And so when I was walking to school, I started thinking about, you know, just things. And then I started recording them. And then people liked them. So I just kept doing it. And really what you what we hit what we wanted to do was just amplify the opportunity to change the way that we do what we do. So the leadership challenge is really like a minute to two minute um, you know, what because it, it literally takes me a minute and a half to get to school from my house, like like literally ninety seconds. And I could actually be in the door in sixty if I don't walk past one door if I'm not if I'm you know, if I still have a couple thoughts in my head. But you know, we we're in a spot where during that walk, all I've been doing was thinking about how we could lead differently. So we'll talk about, you know, what it means to, you know, be present and engaged in the process. We, you know, started talking about what it means to recognize and acknowledge and extend conversations, which is really important when it comes to celebrating the work of kids and, and, and staff members. Talked about, you know, five, you know, five stories in five days, five acts of kindness. All of this stuff really kind of comes up as I'm, um, Thinking about it, you know, before I go to work, I usually go to work on Saturday mornings for a couple hours while my family's still sleeping, and I just get some thoughts. So whenever I do, whenever I'm walking, I just kind of put those thoughts out there, and it ended up being a challenge, and people seem to like it. So we're going to keep doing it until I, which is probably next week. <laughs> <laughs> I highly doubt that. In closing, what's the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? All right, that's a great question. The most enjoyable part of leadership for me is seeing people take the opportunity to do something that they never thought possible and excelling and really succeeding in that area. Cause I think that a lot of times when people don't understand is they're, they can, they like, even in here, like we're doing some really cool stuff, right. But they haven't even scratched the surface of how good they can be. And when you develop a culture where people want to tell stories about the great things that you do, then all of a sudden people know that the audience changes. And that, when, like I said before, when the audience changes, the effort changes. We've seen our people do these incredible things and they go to conferences and they present at conferences and they're presenting to full sessions at these conferences, you know, and they just look around the room going, you know, this is what it's all about. The idea that our work is being highlighted on this kind of stage is a really cool thing. And I, all I want for them is to feel that. And so my, you know, like the best part about the leader about leadership for me is seeing the look in their eyes when they're in that moment and know that their work has value. So Joe, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? I think you can get me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at uh, Joe underscore Sanfilippo and uh, give me a shout out at is the website if they want to find me there. But most, most importantly, just reach out and have a conversation. Like I think it's, you know, we're all in this thing together. So if we're all talking about it in a different capacity, then we're going to find our way to leading in a different capacity as well. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast. And if you've gotten any value from this show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Joe, thank you so much for being on the program. I appreciate the time. Thanks so much.